Welcome to Elemental Whispers, a podcast dedicated to creating pathways of remembrance through the sharing of personal experiences and real-life sacred stories of working with the community of other world beings for healing, growth, and joyful enchantment. I'm Diamira Rose D'Agostino, and this is my gift to you, a podcast that is really meant to be a doorway May it illuminate this pathway of magical remembrance. May its medicine of enchantment guide you in your elemental journey of soul, earth, and spirit. Recently, it has come to my attention that in giving so much airtime to the beings who I refer to as the she the elven folk, and who you'll also hear me use the word fairy, that I have inadvertently (laughs) failed to highlight a group of beings that is so near and dear to my heart, that is so much a part of the work that I do and have done for years and years and years, and who are a really important part of the sacred ecology of the Gaia plan. They are so intrinsic to the workings of nature. And I was recently asked by one of them to not forget about them. Don't forget about us. And when we're so lofty, have you ever heard the phrase, hey, when you get so big, don't forget about the little people? (laughs) Of course, this phrase was not meant to refer to the distinction between the she and the beings who I'm going to introduce today, but I think it is an apt analogy in more ways than one, not the least of which is the actual languaging, the little people. And that is who I am talking about today, the little people. I am going to do my best to use that phrasing for the beings that I am referring to as much as possible because of the conflation of language. Many people use the word fairy to describe the little people. That's who they're talking about. Other people, when they're using the word fairy, like myself, I am usually referring to, if I'm talking about beings, the shining ones, the she, the people of peace, the elven folk, all of these words I use interchangeably. And otherwise, I'm referring to the vast fairy world, which to me is the other world of spirit. It is the world that is beyond ours, that is woven within the matrix of nature, woven within the matrix of the natural world. I'm using matrix here in its true form, not in the meaning that we associate with the movie. However, very rarely am I using the word fairy to refer to the beings that I am dedicated in today's episode to, the little people. Some other colleagues of mine, in addition to using the word fairy to refer to the little people, also call them elementals. And for me, again, I steer away from using this word because... (laughs) To me, the elementals are very specific energies, very specific 
beings that have consciousness that are connected to the four elements of earth, air, fire, water. They are the wind spirits. They are the water spirits. And this is where it can overlap and become a little conflated because there are little people who are river folk. And I'm going to be sharing a story of one today who is exactly that, who could be considered a river folk. So allow me to share the story of Eorn. Now, if you put on your detective YouTube hat, you may be able to find a video where I was interacting with this being a few years ago. And I filmed that interaction and spoke during that interaction so that the viewer could actually be part of the experience. Now, I completely forgot about that interaction. It wasn't that I didn't necessarily forget that this being existed. It was more out of sight, out of mind kind of thing until last week. Probably by the time you're listening to this, it may be two weeks ago. But it was on Tuesday, I believe the 21st of February, that I heard a ping, a heart call. It was a feeling, a nudge, an insistence that I come to the Rockfish River Valley Trail System. Immediately, my thoughts went to Althea. For those of you who have worked with her essence, you know that she is a fairy queen connected to that waterway. And yet she can be accessed in waterways beyond that one. But her matrix of flowing existence really threads through that geographical area in in a lot of ways. And I'll talk a little bit more about her when the time is right in that context. And if you're interested in connecting with her energy and her medicine, you can always hop on over to my Elemental Whispers Essence store on my website, diamirarose.com and have a look. Her essence is still available for purchase. And I have heard from a few people working with her. Not only does her medicine really help with allowing you to flow with your own sacred rhythm, just like water flows, but it also her medicine somehow connects you to her. Not all of the fairy kings and queens do that, but in this case, I've heard from several people that they have experienced connecting with her personally and physically after working with this essence. So if you are feeling that call, then definitely check that essence out at the store. So I immediately thought it was Alfia that was calling to me. And so I got in my car and drove the 20 minutes and I arrived and got out of my car. And the way that this place is laid out is you park in the little parking lot and then there's a trail and the trail follows along the river. And if you go right, you go under the viaduct, under the bridge that cars go over and you come out the other side, which then puts you on, I suppose that would be the east side of the river. And if you go the other way, that is the west side of the river. Well, Althea is towards the east. 
And that is the way that I almost always go because the trail system that way is much more expanded. There's quite a number of trails and offshoots and different ways that you can take. And it's just really a lovely walk, let alone the fact that I get to visit with Alfia. However, when I got out of my car and I walked straight towards the trail, I immediately felt a strong sensation that invited me the other way. It was more as if it was just pulling me towards the river immediately. Don't walk along the trail, just come straight to the river. Well, where that path is, the route to get to the river is not so easy. It's not a far distance, but there's a lot of brambles and different kinds of growth and vegetation that I wouldn't necessarily want to trample on or walk through, not to mention there was a lot of muddy, boggy areas. I had my boots on, but you know, so I just stood at the edge of the trail where I could commune. I was probably about, I don't know, 30 feet from the river. And I just stood there and I was feeling pulled just slightly to the, in the, in the other direction. So not in the direction of Alfia, but slightly in the other direction. So I began to walk just a little bit. And really, as you may have heard me say this, I kind of become a little bit of a dog with a bone with the energy. I feel an energy pull and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so I kind of follow it. I <laughs> I actually, they just shot me this really hilarious image. It was like, you're not the dog with the bone. We're the ones who have fish lined you and they just showed like putting a little it's sweet it's not in a any kind of a negative or invasive way but they showed um sending out a little fishing line and then reeling me <laughs> because they know that they can appeal to my curious nature so apparently that's what they were doing is reeling me in and i ended up walking just a you know a little bit down the trail until I found a clearing where I could, you know, maybe cut through and get to the river. Before I start in, I suddenly come alive with sensation and familiarity. I knew the energy at once. It was Eorn, this being that I had connected with a number of years ago. And I was in such joy. It was that moment of recognition and, hey, oh my goodness, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. Oh my God, I forgot about you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't say all that, but that was like all of that rush of emotion came forward at once. And I ended up going to, I hopped along, found myself a path and sat on this rock. And he and I just had the most beautiful dialogue unfold between us. And what he said to me made me cry. And you may not know, but I am not a huge crier. I do have a really sensitive, tender cancer heart. My moon is in cancer, but I have layers of Libra (laughs) and Sagittarius covering that. So the cancer heart, yeah, it has its place and it's super sensitive. But as you know, cancers are crabs. And so they have a hard outer shell because they are so sensitive inside. And so I'm not a huge crier. Maybe I'm a closet crier more than anything, but I 
usually don't get super emotional, but sometimes these interactions with the other world can just crack my heart open. And this was one of those moments. And what made me so emotional was that he, first of all, was the one that had sent out the ping and not Elfia. That was number one. And number two, he had sent out a call for me to come because he wanted to thank me. And, you know, when we stand forth as light workers, healers, especially when working with invisible forces on the earth, and I've shared in other episodes and a little in my book of the way in which that I have worked on the planet and erecting new earth architectural structures and supporting the grid system and the ley lines and the energy system of the planet's health and well-being. So many times, in so many ways, I will never know or see the outcome of that work. I will not receive recognition, certainly not from the world of humankind. Most of what I do, and for any of you who are out there listening, and if you're doing this kind of work as well, you know this kind of work, it often goes unnoticed in the world of humankind. It's just how it is. And we may notice certain changes may unfold in a particular area after we've done work there. Absolutely. But a lot of times we may never be aware of the changes as long as we've done these, the work in a good way, following not our ego, but our heart, following and listening to the song of the land, and also hopefully having some form of training and expertise in doing this kind of work, because let's face it, it's, it's pretty intricate and it takes experience to do this kind of work, I think. So this is truly a work of trust, trusting ourselves, trusting our intuition, but also trusting that the work we're doing is important. It has meaning. It is making a difference, even if we don't know what that difference is. And I would extend this to those of us who work with humans in the context of spirit work and energy work. There's so much work we do with our clients, with students, with participants that may come to our group ceremonies and circles that we know that they've been blessed. We know that maybe even six months down the line, a profound change may unfold that was maybe catalyzed by some something we did within that co-creative session. And a lot of times people won't connect the dots and a lot of times we'll never know. So it is really, this work requires absolute trust. And it also is a lot of a work of ego refinement because, right, that validation, needing that validation is so human, so human. And yet, can we trust in our work? Can we trust in ourselves? Can we trust without it? And so that's that fine line. If we need validation, <laughs> you're in the wrong line of work. But once in a while, there comes a moment in time where we either receive that beautiful feedback 
from a client. And sometimes it can come years later. I recently received an email from someone who had done a session with me, gosh, I want to say three years ago, maybe more, maybe four or five years ago. And they reached out and they said, I just want you to know. And it was about something that came forward in that session that I had completely forgot about. And they shared with me, like, now it's coming forward. Now it's manifesting. It's coming into being. Gosh, like those little morsels that may happen once every blue moon is the stuff that dreams are made of because it's just enough, at least for me. Okay, your work, you're doing good work, Damira. Your work is making a difference. Isn't that why we do this work? So I'm saying all this to say that once in a while, we receive validation and we are reflected the impact that our work had for another. In this case, I was reflected by Yorn the impact of my work for not only him, for not only his community, but for the whole of the land. And he, his gratitude was so humbling for me. And at some point, the beings of his clan or community gathered around me and they all nodded their head, almost like that slight bow and thanked me. And that was enough to make me cry. (laughs) That was because more than the gesture, it was an outpouring of love that I felt coming from them, of true, pure gratitude. And so you probably want to know what was it that I did. (laughs) So interestingly enough, when I went back to listen to the video that night when I got home, I thought, let me actually see what I said and were there similarities from that interaction to this one. I'm always comparing notes, even my own notes. It helps me learn. And there were several things that stood out to me that almost made me fall over. If I hadn't been sitting down, I probably would have. Number one, that my initial visit with him, my initial contact with Yorn took place almost exactly three years ago. That video was produced, I believe it was on February 9th. 2020. So we're a few days off from literally being three years. And of course, the three is this sacred number of creativity. So it was three years ago. That was the first thing that blew my mind. And the second thing was that I had no memory of him being accompanied by other beings. I thought he was solo. And that's why when all of these beings came out on both sides of the river and circled around me, I was like, Yarn, oh my God, you're not alone. There's so many of you. And he was like, yeah, there are so many of us. When I re-listened to the video, I actually mentioned the whole clan. I had completely forgotten about that. So again, really nice to have my own validation (laughs) of, wow, this is very, uh, there's continuity here. There's continuity in what I experienced from one interaction to the next with not having any memory of it. The other was in the way that I describe his energy, which was very similar. And the last thing that really struck me was the way in which I was signaled, sirened to call to come there. 
And it was not unlike this most recent time. I was at home. I received this sort of siren call. It's not a auditory siren call. It's a feeling in my heart, this nudge, this ping that I'm being drawn somewhere. And in this case, I knew it was to the Rockfish River Valley. Now, what's interesting is back then, I had no illusions that it was Althea because at that time, at that time, I hadn't even met Althea yet. I think I ended up meeting Althea later that year. So I hadn't met Althea. I didn't know why I was being summoned, but I felt the call and I responded. And I think I talk a little bit about this in the video. And I say this a lot is that the call is not given to those of us who are special. It is given to those of us who answer. And probably said a better way is the call goes out. And it's not that I'm special that I do all these cool jobs all over the planet. It's that I answer. <laughs> that's all. And there's probably a hundred calls that I haven't answered. And that's okay. They're for somebody else. So these were some interesting similarities. His the feeling of his energy was one that I remembered, but the other two I had no recollection of. How I was summoned, as well as that he had other folk with him. And the consistency in my accounts just warms my heart. <laughs> the best validation we can get is from our own, our own selves, right? So when I received that initial summons, and I met Yorn for the first time. We have this beautiful exchange for a moment. And at some point, I get the strong intuitive sense that I am to facilitate a starlight healing. I am not going to go into the specifics of how this is done or how I did this exactly. All I will say is rather than an active forcing, it really is more of a beingness. I hold space for that which wants to unfold. And it is through my witness, through my deep presence and space holding and knowing myself so deeply and my connection to star, to earth, that I was able to be a vessel for this flowing starlight river that poured forth and flowed out into the land. Now I'm going to talk about this in a moment. I'm going to return to it because Eorn has actually made an invitation to all of you that I feel could be very powerful, but it may not be what you think. So this is how I facilitate the starlight healing. And if you can just imagine, I'm going to give you the visual, not what I did and how I did it, but the visual of the energetic if you can just imagine the heavens opening up and starlight beginning to pour forth from particular coordinates whose frequency was a resonant blessing, a balm to those geographic coordinates. And as the heavens open up and the starlight pours forth, it pours into the earth and floods the land, but not just on the physical level. This starlight has the ability to transcend dimensions, to move into all reality experiences on Gaia, to pour into the deep 
recesses of earth, wherein lies the inner sun, the inner earth star within the planet, connecting from that place and then billowing out like a reverberation and flowing up through all, not just the different strata on the physical world, but up through the dimensional bands of reality of Gaia and flowing out. Now, in my experience of this moment in time, I did not perceive that starlight to, for example, go to the whole earth. It was actually focused on that specific area and yet still corresponding to multiple dimensions that were all interpenetrating and somehow connected to that specific area. That was my sense and my understanding. So that was it. That was the initial interaction. And three years later, I'm called back so they can offer me their gratitude. And apparently, as it turns out, that healing helped provide a revitalization to the land that would have otherwise withered and died. Again, I'm not necessarily talking about on the physical level, although maybe, of course, it's all connected. And what he proceeded to explain to me was that the she used to facilitate this mediation of starlight. He talked about, you know, they are river folk, as he explained to me, and he talked about how they populate the rivers of water and the rivers of light. And the rivers of light are the ley lines. And the way that I saw it when he was communicating this concept to me is that the she or fairy people used to, I don't know if they were, that area was populated with them, but they used to frequent and visit that area often. And when they would, they would do this beautiful mediation of earth and star and support the flowing waterways of starlight with the earth. And he says that they don't come there anymore. The she don't come there anymore. And this is where it gets very, so it's so diverse and it's so vast, these worlds, but Althea, in the way that I experience her, is a member of the she. However, and she works with the waters. But in my understanding, not all she mediates starlight. Just like not all humans are healers, right? <laughs> not, even, <laughs> not even a small percentage of humans are healers. Very, very tiny, you know, in all of humanity, right? A very tiny fraction are healers. It's the same thing. The members of the race of she, are, they're very different and unique. Each one having their own predispositions and skill set. Not all of them mediate the starlight. And some of them, like Althea, are woven into the matrix of nature. They are liminal almost in their fluid expression where they could be confused for a nature spirit. And yet I am almost 100% certain. I mean, nothing is a hundred percent, but I am very, very confident to feel that Althea is a member of the she who has been operating within the realms of the natural world, weaving with the spirits of nature and the elementals, weaving with them and the waters of the earth. 
That's how I see Althea. Althea just keeps wanting to pop in here. I mean, (laughs) Althea, this is not an episode about you, but you know what? Everything is connected. And yes, this is an episode dedicated to the little people. And when we talk about Yorn and these river folk, they are very connected. They know Althea. And yet she could not, she could not do this starlight mediation. And so I did this for them three years ago. And then here we were years later, they called me back to say thank you. How beautiful is this? What was not beautiful (laughs) was my realization that as I was sitting with them, I was sitting on the rock and the waters and the sun was pouring down. It was so windy that day and my hair was being blown about and my cheeks were wind kissed and Eorn and I are having this beautiful exchange. And he said to me, don't forget about us. Don't forget about us. And I understood when he said that he was not talking about necessarily him and his people. He was talking about the little people of which he is a part of. He was talking about the beings that I have worked so closely with the little people in so many ways. In fact, I've done quite a number of reconciliations between various races within the, not human races, but races within the fairy world. And this was a huge part of work that I did prior to 2020. It was a huge part of work that a couple of my other colleagues and cohorts who I hope to have on here at some point were a part of. There was some real disturbance in the world of fairy. And that continued into 2020. And I don't want to go into all of the details or even say much more than that. Only that Eorn let me know that the starlight healing actually helped buffer them from some of the disturbances, we'll say, in the fairy world that were still occurring in 2020. So that was just all very, very beautiful. But he said, don't forget about us. And I realized in that moment that I've been giving so much airtime to the she. I've been so focused. My work in so many ways, My the allies that I work with on a day-to-day basis are in many cases she. In other cases, I also work with some beings that are more human in nature. They're no longer incarnated as human, but they were at one point human. And I do work with them as well. And yet I've forgotten, I've largely forgotten about the little people. So I just want to reiterate the little people who some people call fairy and other people call elementals, but I am specifically referring to as little people are not always so little. When I perceive beings like Eorn, he's like a little shorter than me. I'm five feet. He, he's like maybe three or four feet. And again, that's my perception. There are other smaller ones. But every culture has these beings that are very different from the she. They are what Dion Fortune and her group at the turn of the last century, she was a member of the Golden Dawn Society, one of the mystery and secret societies at the turn of the last century, along with the the, uh, Theosophical Society. And later Dion Fortune broke away and spun off a secret society called the Inner Light Secret Society, which is still in operation today, she would refer to beings known as the children of Gaia or the daughters of Lilith. And other people 
in Lynn Andrews' book, for example, her, her book, I believe it is called Women of Weird, she refers to both the elves as well as the fairies. And she, the way she speaks about them is these are very distinct beings. And Lynn Andrews, if you haven't read her, she's fantastic. And Woman of Weird, this book takes place in, I want to say, maybe medieval England. And it's based on a true story. You can read the book and find out all about what it's about, but I want to specifically focus on her perception of these two beings. And she refers to the elven folk as they who came from the stars. Whereas the fairies, she says, these are energies of Gaia or energies of the earth. And this is an apt distinction, except as you know, I wouldn't use the word fairy. I'm using the word little people. So that's what we have to be really aware when somebody is using these words, who they're referring to, because they are different. And it's like in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? Well, I don't know. Does it matter if somebody is referring to a zebra or a bird? I mean, kind of paints the story quite differently. Does it matter if somebody's referring to a bear or a sunflower? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, the story can still be beautiful, but these are different beings. They have different, completely different expressions. And so I want to share, first of all, how important the little people are to the experience of Gaia. In the book, Other Council Fires Were Here Before Ours by Jamie Sams and Twyla Nitsch, a classic Native American creation story as retold by a Seneca elder, Twyla Nitsch, and her granddaughter, Jamie Sams. And this is a story where the medicine stone speaks from the past to our future. In here it says, Next, the little people emerged from the frothy waves, having come from their hiding places among the giant shells and coral reefs. They gladly took their missions as keepers of the seeds, stone throwers, and hunters. So they go on to explain and describe that the little people had three roles. One role was the keeper of seeds. They had the knowledge of plants. And two was stone throwers. And what that meant is that they could move stones around the earth. So they would that was how rocks and stones could travel since they didn't have their own mode of transportation. And yet sometimes it was important to travel stones. In the story, it explains that the stones were the record keepers. So I can only imagine, this is putting my own idea onto it, that it would have been important perhaps to share those records, to move records from one place to another. And the hunters, what they meant by that, they explain that they could find things that were lost. So it's not hunting in the way that we think of it today, going out and killing for hopefully food, hopefully not for sport, but it was hunting to find things that were lost. So according to these Seneca elders, this was what was understood about the little people. In my experience with the little people is I understand them to be very connected with nature, so much so that they do take on the appearance of nature. And that's why it can be difficult to tell them apart sometimes from nature spirits. They work with the natural world, and in some ways, they were some of the original 
teachers of humanity that shared wisdom of the plants and stones with humans to help them heal. In another book by Lynn Andrews, she talks about her time in Australia with the Aboriginal peoples. This book is called Crystal Woman. In there, they refer to a group of beings that are, for me, similar to the little people of the indigenous peoples of North America, and they call them Guawa. I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. And at the time, almost 10 years ago when I read the book, I did an exhaustive internet hunt and I could not find any other mentions of the Guawa. Not surprising because it's not unusual that perhaps that's passed down in oral tradition, but it's not something that is widely known or written about. I would love to hear from any of you if you have experience with the Guawa or you know what I'm talking about. We'd love to hear. You can send me an email at connect at com. So she talks about the Guawa as being connected to the dream time. And the way I see the dream time is that spirit world. It is the realms that we can move into lucidly when we do journey work, when we are working with our spirit allies, our subtle realm allies, when we are doing our spirit work, we can connect into the dream time. The little people weave the dream time. And I absolutely know that those words were not in the book. Those are my words coming from me now. They did say that the little people are connected or the Guawa are connected to the dream time. But the way I'm seeing it is that they weave. It's almost like, you know, what is the fabric of creation? What is matter? And what is matter in its less dense form? Light. And so other dimensions of reality are just as real as ours. They're just not as physical, but they still have atoms. They still have light-filled, etheric matter. And to me, the little people are in some ways guardians of the ethers. And the little people work closely with the she. And the little people work closely with the nature spirits. And the nature spirits, some of them, some of the she work very closely with the nature spirits. This is beautifully reflected in Thea Summerdeer's book, Wisdom of the Plant Devas, Herbal Medicine for a New Earth. In here, she refers to four types of beings in addition to plants, of course. She talks about devas, fairies, nature spirits, and elementals. Now, we don't know for sure, but I might assume that she is referring to little people when she uses the word fairies. But you can be the judge for yourself, or maybe one day we'll have her on the podcast and she can share from her perspective. So I'd like to read you a passage from this book that illustrates the way she sees the relationship among these beings. In the Garden of the Devas, you will find communities living together in much the same manner as we do. Devic communities may include nature spirits, fairies, and elementals. While the Devas pass the blueprints to the nature spirits, 
who in turn construct the form from the raw materials provided by the elementals, the fairies direct and guide the work of the nature spirits. The fairies are overseen by the elementals who govern earth, water, fire, and air. This orchestrated dance is always changing and never static. It could look like many things as we shift our consciousness into the next dimension and the magical world of the devas. She goes on to explain that this is not about a hierarchy, but a society in which they are all learning how to work and grow together. Then she gives an example of perhaps how this working relationship might look. One of the ways we could create a garden might look like this. A landscape architect, Deva, develops a plan or layout for the garden. The helpers, or those employed by the architect, fairies, direct and guide the gardeners, nature spirits, in the execution of the plan. The nature spirits prepare the soil, bury the seeds, water and maintain the plants as they grow, and weed, edge, trim, and prune to create a beautiful and aesthetic garden. With the help and guidance of the fairies, the nature spirits tend to the garden. Prayers are then made to the elementals, whom they humbly ask to bring favorable conditions for growth. So this is another person's perspective and way that they are perceiving the interdependent relationship between these beings in the diverse and very vast fairy world. So this is where it can become very conflated. Even for those of us who have a lot of experience, this can become really conflated. So we can always ask, who are you? Who am I working with? Well, you should probably know who you're working with. It should probably be a little bit of an interview process. There's one other piece that I want to share that is a passage from a chapter in my book that connects to the little people. This passage is found in the chapter Homecoming, which is one of the last chapters of the book. And so I'm only going to read a tiny bit from it because I don't want to give away too much if you haven't read my memoir. And this book that I'm referring to, I have three books that are out. So this book is Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening. I look down at the small stone that lays in the palm of my hand. It is whitish-gray, mostly flat. On its surface is a black mark in the shape of a cross or an X. The cross has not been drawn on or artificially added, but appears to be the result of a naturally occurring mineral composition. I roll the stone around in my hand, letting its smooth, rough edges rub against my skin. This being of the mineral kingdom fascinates me, not only in appearance, but its familiar energy is inviting. It is as if an outstretched hand beckons me to enter its mystery. There is a legend of the Cherokee people that speaks about the origins of these stones, Cindy says, interrupting my ruminations. She goes on. From what I can remember, the crosses are said to be the residual tears of the fairies, or little people, as the Cherokee call them. I make a mental note to research the story further. Any mention of these beings in other cultures is of great interest. After all, my experience with the fairy realm up until this point has all been firsthand. 
looking at older cultures might offer insight and guidance about this subject from another perspective, or perhaps lead to discovering some points of connection in all my experiences over this couple of years. The stones are connected to fairy and can be worked with as a fairy portal to access that energy, Cindy says. Taking a closer look at the stone, the energy churns, gently at first, but the more I focus on it, the more pronounced the spinning becomes like a vortex, drawing me in. Luckily, I do not need to resist its pull for long. Soon, Cindy guides us in a meditation to enter the fairy portal of the starlight. So that stone, which I still have one today after that class, Cindy did not give us <laughs> that stone, but I spent a great deal of time hunting for that stone. And I know there's a big conversation right now about crystals and mining and rightfully so. And that is a very important conversation. And I find myself still somewhere in between because there are crystal beings that I have been called to, to work with, to be their stewards, their keepers. And in some cases, liberators were, they've asked me to release them into the earth. Or when they tell me that they're ready to go to another person or to another place, then I take them. They are beings in their, they are beings and have their own destiny. And so I just wanted to presence that before going on. But these fairy crosses, also known as starolites, S-T-A-U-R-O-L-I-T-E. When I first heard that word, I thought it was starlight, but they are starolites. Striking, no, the resemblance from that word to the starlight, which again is part of the healing that I facilitated. So that was years and years ago. And then I went out, like I said, and I hunted for one of these stones and I finally found one in a shop in North Carolina. And as it turns out, they are native, these starlights, to only a couple of places on the earth in North, North America. And one of the places is in Virginia, which as you may know, I live in now. At the time I was living in Georgia and I believe that is the other place they are found is in Tallulah Gorge near Tallulah Falls in Georgia. So these fairy crosses, they're called that because of the cross that forms naturally on them. And they all look very different. These have been over harvested, unfortunately. And now I think they are more and more difficult to find. But these crosses became a great fascination to me mostly because they linked me to an account of the little people from the Cherokee people. Here's the story of how the crosses came to be as I learned it. Long, long ago, there was a group of Cherokee people, and they had great knowing and understanding of many goings-on in the world. The way they received their information was from a race of beings known as the little people. Now, one day, the little people came to the village where the Cherokee people were, and there was a great sadness hovering about the little people. 
one of the Cherokee village people, an elderly man, came forward to speak with the little people to see what was going on. And the little people shared that a great tragedy was about to occur in the world, that a man of peace, one who had even come to travel and teach some of the peoples of Turtle Island via soul travel, was going to be put to death by his enemies. And when that happened, all of nature would weep and the sky would darken. And so they all waited and there was singing to honor the man of peace who was existing and living way across the seas on the other side of the world. And then it happened. The skies darkened and all of nature knew that the evil deed had been committed, that the man of peace had been killed. There was such sadness that many of the people there, both Cherokee and the little people, began to weep. And the tears that fall fell upon the ground became like sparkling diamonds in the earth. They formed the shape of crosses, these volunteers. And from that point forward, these tiny sparkling stone crosses could be found as a sign and a memory of both that tragedy as well as the beauty that the man of peace had brought forward. Now, there is much that could be said about this story, and I am sure one of the questions is, is this a Christian or religious overlay on top of an older story? I had that question too, and yet I'm going to leave that question for a little later. This story about the fairy crosses and the little people really inspired and initiated this search of mine where I began to become very interested in discovering accounts, stories, legends of indigenous peoples all over the earth referencing the little people. Of course, the little people go by many names, and as I would come to learn at some point in Cherokee, they are called Yunwi Tsunsti. But the Cherokee aren't the only people that have stories of the little people. In Hawaii, the Kahuna talk a lot about the Menahune. In the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, Los Aluches are known in all parts. In Burkina Faso, a group of beings known as the Contomble make their presence known. We have, of course, references to the leprechauns in Ireland. We have the pixies of Cornwall and Dartmoor, which is in the south and southwest of England. The kobolds of Germany. In Italy, where one branch of my family tree is from, we have beings called Silvani, which mean beings of the forest. In a lot of places throughout Europe, we have accounts of gnomes and goblins. 
Speaking of goblins, one of my most favorite people in the whole world is a hobgoblin. And he has been on so many journeys with me. I first encountered him in Glastonbury upon one of my annual trips there. I was with my partner and he and I, I was introducing him actually to Glastonbury for the first time. And he and I were climbing the tour. And as we arrived on the top, Hobble was waiting for us. Of course, I would come to learn that Hobble and I have been old friends, soul friends for a very long time. And eventually he actually came over from Glastonbury to here to New Avalon to participate in this dream that is unfolding at this place on the earth. I'm sure I will share many tales of Hobble at another point in time, but it didn't feel right not to mention him here. He is one of the most joyous beings I have ever known, and he has been such a support. He accompanied me on my recent Avalon pilgrimage of endings and beginnings of life and death that I underwent this past summer, July of 2022, in England and also Wales. In addition to the different names of the little people I've already mentioned, there is also the Tolilaque that is mentioned in the Twisted Hair Medicine Wheel teachings, of which I was trained within by Shasta Zaring of Goddess Garden Atlanta. And the Tolilaque are placed within the center of the medicine wheel circle where the ancestors live. And this tells us that the Tolilaque, the little people, are one of our ancestors. And if you continue to dig deeper and connect in with both the indigenous accounts of your own ancestors, yes, we all have ancestral indigenous roots, some of us going very far back, but they are there. So connecting into those stories, as well as the indigenous stories of the lands where you live. This can be so revealing, and it helps us gain another perspective of the significance of these beings as part of the sacred web of life, their important role within the Gaia plan and also within this sacred ecology. Now, it was quite a number of years later that I happened upon a book. Don't so many great stories start with, I happened upon a book. Do you have good stories that start in that way? (laughs) That's my dream is as a writer and author for someone to say that about my book. It all started when I happened upon this book called Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening. So may that book bless many of you. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out, then you can hop on over to any place where books are sold and grab a copy. So the book that I am referring to, however, that got my attention at this particular moment when I found it, was called The Secrets and Mysteries of 
the Cherokee Little People, Yunwi Tsunsti. This book has got my attention first because it actually has the story that I've already recounted to you here of the fairy crosses, although it's told in a slightly different way. It also mentions that concern that I alluded to earlier, which is wondering if the story somehow has become conflated with Christian in some way, because obviously it refers to the man of peace who, let's face it, that is Yeshua, but they do reference this issue. So first of all, the author of this book is Lynn King Losiah, and this book is derived from a large body of material collected from the Cherokee people and written sources, including James Mooney, noted authority of Cherokee history and mythology. So I'm going to read this little paragraph of what it says about this question of being connected or somehow conflated with maybe Christian stories. The book starts with the oldest story ever told of a particular little people who wore white. The content of this story may suggest infiltration of biblical inclinations into Cherokee culture and legendary. However, as one reads closely and remembers the approximate time of the birth of the story, it appears to date before this knowledge was available to the Cherokee. This story was passed through the family of Going Back Chitowski, written down by his wife, Mary Ulmer Chitowski, two of Cherokee's most treasured and trusted. What I'm taking that to say is that when they trace back the story, it has originated from an older time before the Cherokee would have had any interaction or connection with the settlers or Christians. This is actually a really big conversation, and I am maybe feeling inspired to at some point do an episode around this, not specific to the connection between Cherokee and Yeshua, but the connection that I have found between Yeshua and fairy. It's a very intriguing, exciting mystery hunt, one that I continue to find clues and keys for, and I think it might make a good podcast episode. So we'll see. In either case, I am not going to read the story in this, as it's written in this book, the oldest story ever told. I would encourage you to buy yourself a copy. It has that story along with many accounts of the little people from the Cherokee, and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. What I do want to call your attention to is an interesting note in the back of the book. There is a tiny glossary of names of different beings mentioned in different tales and accounts of the Cherokee people. And I'm going to read to you the definition and description under the Yunwi Sunsti, but I also want to read you another definition and description of a different being. In here, there is a being referred to as Nunhi. Nunhi. And this is what it says about the Nunhi. The immortals, eternal ones, the people who live everywhere, anywhere, and forever, who go about invisible, 
their power is so closely related to the little people that one can hardly tell the difference. They more often appear to the Cherokee with the look and size of other Native Americans, but can take on the look of the little people at will. Unlike the little people, however, they live underground. They sometimes appear as birds, mostly owls, animals, trees, fish, reptiles, and even insects. They are a race of spirit people that live in the mountain highlands and have many homes on high peaks and balds. Further down, it goes on to explain, they are invisible except when they want to be seen. Like the little people, they enjoy music and dancing. Hunters in the mountains would often hear the dance songs and drums beating in some mysterious place, but when they tried to follow the sounds, they would shift about and hunters could never find them. They are friendly people too and often brought lost wanderers to their homes under the mountains, cared for them until they were rested and then guided them back to their homes. More than once, when the Cherokees were hard-pressed by the enemy, the Nunahi warriors have come out, as they did at Old Nikwasi, the burial mound in Franklin, North Carolina, and saved them from defeat. Soldiers who were in the Civil War asserted that they frequently saw smoke rising from the burial ground near Bryson City, North Carolina, or from Kituhua, an ancient settlement of the Cherokee where the Nunahi lived. It goes on a bit further, but... When I read this, I could not help but make the correlation and connection to the beings I refer to as the she. So here we have a very specific account or description of a particular being and the distinction between these beings and the little people, although it is noted that they can easily confuse people and one can resemble the other, but these are clearly distinct beings. This is a fantastic example of corroboration. Personally, I love to find corroboration between and among sources, between different cultures. Further down, they have another group of beings, and that's the Yunwi Sunsdi. And the way they describe them in this glossary of terms is the little people of the little people are fairy-like. Their stature is no taller than the knee of the little people. They often glow. They are powerful guides of the little people and the medicine men of the mountains. So remember that everyone has a real different way of classifying these different beings of the other world. As we know, categorization, just like a map, is meant to hopefully guide us, give us some clues, but ultimately we need to know that just like a map is a two-dimensional representation of a three-dimensional space, that these descriptions using language is really difficult to pinpoint beings of the spirit world. But as you can see, all throughout the world, we have mentions of the little people. Beings that are somewhere in between human, nature, spirit, and she. They are indeed children of Gaia, meaning that they didn't come here from another place. Their bodies, their beings arose from the Gaian dream. Their consciousness arose from the Gaian dream. So in that way, they are very different than us and the she. 
If you are called to work with the little people, first, I will share that there is a beautiful essence, rock goblin essence, that I collected in the mountains of the Shenandoah near a place called South River Falls. This is a beautiful story of collection. There was an extraordinary symphony that erupted in great song that poured forth the wisdom of the rock goblins into this medicine collection, into this essence. And when I asked what their medicine could be for, how was one to work with their medicine? They said, our medicine holds all of the wisdom of the mountains, and it can help you like mountains, weather any storm. What more do you need? (laughs) That was literally what they said to me. So it was such a beautiful moment. My dear friend Rosemary was there with me. She photographed some of the experience and we had passed them on the way in because I was actually going to collect this other being's essence who had called me there. And as we passed this rock wall, these rock goblins made themselves known to me. So I said, okay, on the way out. Well, the way out was several hours later. I was tired, but I thought I promised. So I sat down in great communion and what seemed to be the leader of these beings came forward and he began to sing and share and sing. And at one point, his singing made me so joyful and I felt like a child, just lighthearted and free. And I began to laugh and Rosemary and I began to joke. And then suddenly I got smacked on the head (laughs) with his, what seemed to be his conductor stick. It didn't hurt me. It was just like caught my attention. And I was like, what? He said, would you be laughing and making jokes in a human orchestra if you were sitting in the audience of a human orchestra? And I thought, well, no, I wouldn't. You're right. I apologize. And then of course they, you know, continued on in this extraordinary symphony and all of the entire rock goblin community came down and they were streaming down the mountain side in beautiful colors as if they were almost repelling off the mountain with these different colored streamers and each streamer had its own sound and its own tone and these different tones of the different beings in the community all were going into this medicine to just create this beautiful, extraordinary support to help us weather any storm. And of course, that was collected a couple of years ago when we were all indeed weathering a storm. And lastly, the baby who I perceived as baby rock goblins came and they were too young to sing their song. I think that they had to learn to sing their song, but they came and they blew on it. And the he said the babies offered their breath. And so this is just this beautiful woven spell of beauty and light and love and deep, deep, deep mountain medicine. So that is available for you all in the Elemental Whispers Essence Store. And finally, I want to share the invitation that Eorn shared with you all. And he explained that 
starlight is so important to the land and not just starlight, but the relationship and flow between the stars and earth is, and has always been important. It's like rain to the earth, but it's energy rain. It's just like we receive those, I think they're called coronal mass ejections from the sun with all of that solar energy and the solar energy provides light and energy for the plants that then take that and create nutrients. And then we take those plants and other animals take those plants into our bodies, right? So it's feeding us on a physical energetic level, but it's also feeding the earth, the solar energy. It's the closest star. The sun is a star, right? But then the other stars as well have their own relationship with the earth. And yet when there is someone to hold space and witness, but if you don't know how to do this here, the, the invitation is not to go out and like try to do this and figure it out with your mind. This is what Yorn said and how you can begin. Simply start to become aware of the stars in your own body. Within your heart, in the sacred space of the heart, you can connect to not only all the stars in the galaxy, all the stars, but the stars that live within you. And this is truly a reflection of as above, so below, as without, so within. And he said, truly, this is a deep mystery teaching. I'm not speaking a metaphor. There are stars within you, stars that can be connected to in your own heart. And once you make that connection, it becomes natural to be able to hold space and to allow the starlight outside of you to flow where it needs to flow. But the key and the first step is to becoming aware and come into relationship of the stars within. So with that, I leave you all, my friends, deep blessings from the heart of New Avalon. And may we all begin to become aware and in good relationship with our kin and fellow earth citizens, the little people. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for listening. If you are loving these conversations, explorations, and shares, and they are feeding your soul or stirring something awake and alive within you, then you might want to check out my newly released book, Initiation, My Fairy Soul Awakening. It's a magical memoir detailing my early journey of awakening into the realms of Gaia and fairy. And if you are journeying your own story of healing and remembrance, then definitely check out Elemental Whispers Essences. It's my flower tree and elemental essence line, which are vibrational medicines to support you in this wild journey of ours called Life on Earth. You can find all of this and more at my website, diamirarose.com. Until next time, 